This podcast series is supported by members at Patreon. If you want to support this podcast series, head to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. The Pacific Northwest offers a huge variety of craft beers, from IPAs to lagers and pilsners. In this episode, let's explore the exciting world of sour beers. Welcome to the Cascadian Beer Podcast. My name's Aaron and I'm a Cascadian. I have a background in radio and television broadcasting. I'm a music producer and have a passion for beer. I don't consider myself to be an expert in beer by any means, but I do enjoy and respect the craft and the passion of these brewmasters. I want to learn from these pioneers on what sets them apart from the rest and why they choose to call Cascadia their home. Cascadia is a bioregion in the Pacific Northwest on the North American continent. It is made up of the U.S. states of Washington and Oregon, as well as the Canadian province of British Columbia. In this podcast series, I'll be profiling the unique breweries of Cascadia, a region that has a strong presence on the international beer scene. In this episode, I've traveled to Portland, Oregon to speak with Cascade Brewing. I have two interviews to share with you. In a bit, we'll hear from General Manager Grant Ritchie. But first, I wanted to get the backstory and the history of the brewery. And for that, I spoke with owner Art Lawrence. My name's Art Lawrence, Cascade Brewing, Portland, Oregon. How did this whole project start for you? This project actually started in uh, probably 1983. I was doing some home brewing with some friends in the early 80s. And um, in 83, a brewery had started up up in Seattle named Red Hook. Burt Grant had started up up in Yakima. And we were drinking their beer, drinking our home brew, skipping lunch, drinking our lunch. And in the afternoon, we said, well, gosh, if they can have a brewery in Seattle and Yakima, we can have one in Portland. Let's call up Burt Grant and see if he'll teach us how to make beer and build a brewery. So we did and got a contract with Burt Grant on the consulting agreement. And we got a location in Portland in 1984, 1985. There was four groups of us who wanted to brew beer and sell beer on the same premise. And that would be the McMinimum Brothers, the Widmer Brothers, Dick Ponzi that did Bridgeport. And Fred Bowman and I did Portland Brewing, so we all went to our legislature in 1985 to get our brew pub bill where we could brew beer and sell beer on the same premise. And prior to Prohibition, Oregon had limited where breweries could sell beer. We only had one brewery in the state. Well, we actually had uh, three after Prohibition. Salem, Medford, and Portland survived Prohibition. Medford closed in 47. Salem, I think, was 55, and then Weinhardt's came along. I don't remember when they closed, 10 or 12 years ago, something like that. And they, they, at their brewery, they had a tasting room. You couldn't buy beer there. You could only give it away. So when we went to our legislature in 85, we wanted to get, we wanted to be able to sell it on premise. Right. And we wanted to be able to do our own distribution and have other privileges. So that law got passed, and out of that came Widmer. Like minimum chain, Bridgeport, Portland Brewing were the first groups, and then Full Sail, Deschutes, Rogue. All of a sudden, they st- a lot more entrepreneurs jumped into the fray. 
When did you leave Portland Brewing? November of 1994. And you just wanted to start your own? Well, they didn't want me, and it was a perfect exit for me to get out and go do my own thing. I seemed to work better without a bunch of partners than with a bunch of partners. Right. Better, I found I could go build a team, a homogeneous team, better than what we were doing at Portland Brewing. And so what was the initial uh, inspiration then for Cascade? What was the... Were you just wanting to be a brewery, or did you have in your mind that you wanted to do sour beers at that point? Well, when I left Portland Brewing in 94, I got an option on a piece of property in February of 95 where the current Cascade Brewing Raccoon Lodge is. And it took me three years and 10 months from when I got an option on that property in February till I opened it 18 years ago. But it took me three years and 10 months to go through the zone change, design review, building permit, Comprehensive plan change. Then, then to go get it, have it built. It took three years and ten months. So I opened that in uh, December 11th of '98, 18 years ago. And we have a brewery. We have a restaurant. It's a 14,500 square foot, two-story building, ten-barrel brew house. And we started making our pale ales and we everything. We were we before we even built the brewery, we knew that we wanted to have a magic elixir, some beer, our Widmer Hafevites and our Black Butte Porter, our McTarnahans, our full sale amber, some beer that was our driver. And we didn't really have anything. Everything was about twenty or twenty-five percent of the sales. We didn't have one of those that was ninety percent was your sales. And we were struggling to try to go find our beer. There are a lot more beers that come onto the market. All the prices are set by the big brewers because you got to go sell to your distributor for the same price that Widmer does. Being a small producer, you don't make the beer at the same price as Widmer does. So it's difficult to be profitable. And we, we meaning Ron Gansberg, our brewer, and I looked at each other and said, listen, we, let's use our experience. And we kind of started out with a premise of how can we expand without spending a lot of money? How can we get some fermentation and work with local resources. Local resources meant wine barrels. We're in wine country. We could go for $600. I could buy as much fermentation space as a $10,000 stainless tank would. So that fulfilled one of the qualifications. The other one was local resources with fruit. Well, we have cherries. We knew we could make a cherry beer. Cherry beer in Flemish's Creek, K-R-I-E-K. And that was our first sour beer that we experimented with. We infected it with bacteria. It took us a year to find out if we had something. We didn't know if we had something. We had our friends try it around here, and they go, oh, oh, that beer's infected. And we'd go, well, yeah, but it's supposed to be. And we drove down to Denver to a Great American Beer Festival about 10 years ago, it was, I think, and got to sample some people, and we got some verification that we were on the right track with our Northwest-style sour beer. Then the next year, we went back to Great American Beer Festival, took third place with the Creek. The next year, we went back and took first and second place with the Wood Barrel Age Sour category. So we knew we got some verification that we were doing something right. And that led to filling up the brewery with all those barrel, with all of our barrels. At that time, it was like 200 plus, and we needed a space for them. And I was fortunate enough to be able to find this building to buy. So we moved all of our barrels over here and then created the retail situation that we're sitting in right now. It's been open for over five years. And you uh, had to move the barrels out of here. 
didn't you? Well, we did to move them to um, a third location that we could control the situation better than what we have here. We outgrew this facility for aging a beer. We wanted to get into a more controlled climate situation, and that's what we have at the third location called Cascade Brewing Blending House, and that's a 23,000-foot warehouse with an 18,500-foot walk-in cooler that's climate-controlled, temperature, humidity. It keeps the humidity at about um, 85%, about 62 degrees constantly, and that's where packaging and blending is done. How much patience does it take in those first three years when you didn't know if these beers were going to be accepted by anybody? Well, it takes more money than patience because <laughs> you're, you're, you're spending money yeah. all this time. You have to have a location. You have to pay for your materials and your labor, and you're sitting there in suspense. You don't know whether you're going to, what's going to come out at the other end. So, yeah, there is anticipation. How long did it take for the local community here in Portland to catch on that what you had was very special? Well, we were selling some of them at the Raccoon Lodge, but not very much. There wasn't an awful lot of acceptance. And then um, coming over to this location, quite frankly, I had some of my friends that I've known ever since I've been in the industry kind of pulled me aside and went, hey, Art, um, are you sure that people are going to come over to that warehouse and drink sour beer? Are you really sure there's enough people out there in the world that have an interest in sour beer? And I said, I kind of, I had done my math on what it took to break even here, which is about one third of what the business that we do here now. We we do about three times what my estimate was to break even. And it's totally surprised me. It's totally surprised those people that went and made that comment to me. And there were some that came up after we became a success and said, Hey, I didn't want to say anything to you, but I didn't think anybody was gonna show up over there to drink sour beers. And we just got something it came out yesterday from Uber that had the five most popular brew pubs that people get taken to. And we're the third most popular of the top five in town mm-hmm. that they want to come and drink our beers. And so, yes, 70% or something like that of our business is tourist business. And with that, I mean, your beers have got quite a large reach across North America now, right? Are, are you in many markets? We're in 41 states, 61 distributors. We're, we're in... Going into our third and fourth provinces now into Canada. We're in Japan, Korea, Taiwan, the Netherlands, Denmark, Great Britain. Our our people in the Netherlands and Denmark cover us for quite a bit of Western Europe as well. And like with with that reach now and just where it's available, when you set out what starting this brewery, did you think that you'd have your beer in Japan? Oh, we thought about it because it's such a unique market. Yeah. In fact, there's a fellow just when I came in here from Japan sitting a couple tables behind us. I don't know if they've left or not, but he drinks our beer in Japan. <laughs> right. And he just came over to Portland and he's with a friend of mine who does Japanese interpretations. You no, know, he likes our beer. They drink our beer in Japan. It's a big hit in Korea, too. It's, um, it's expensive, about $40 a bottle. So it's used... We're told like in ceremonial or when you want to give something to a good friend or something like that. It's mm-hmm. And then where where do you go from here? Are, are you, are you going to kind of stay the course or do you just want to kind of expand even more? Well, we'll keep expanding internationally. We'll expand. There's only seven or eight more states. I mean, we're not in South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Montana. 
kind of the, that Bible Belt area. Mm-hmm. Um, we just haven't pushed. We have we have contacts there. We just haven't gone to push that. Out. There's it's still a a market that's emerging, I would say. And out of all the beers you make, what's one of your favorites that you just can't get enough of? Of the sour beers, yeah. I like the Creek. It's got so many different characteristics and flavors to it. In the wintertime, I like our Glue Creek, our warm creek that's got spices and orange peel and, and that in it. Uh, but I like the, the spicy notes, the cinnamon notes, fruity notes that you get in the creek. Right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Art Lawrence, owner of Cascade Brewing. I wanted to learn more about Cascade Brewing's Barrel House and what it has to offer to the public. For that, I spoke with General Manager Grant Ritchie. How long has the Barrel House been open for? Barrel House opened on September 22nd, 2010. This wasn't the first location for Cascade, right? No, that's right. Our first location is the Raccoon Lodge and Brew Pub out in Raleigh Hills on the west side of Portland. And that opened uh, December 8th, uh, 1998. And so why did this place open up? This place was built and opened for a couple different reasons. One, to have a an east side presence in Portland and more of a center city presence. Uh, But more importantly, to have a place where we could have our barrel aging and sour barrel facilities away from the brew house and then also have a tasting room to showcase our sour beers. There is no brewing that's done on site here. Sadly, we outgrew the space. Right. So all the beers are made over at the, the basement of the Raccoon Lodge and Brew Pub. And from there, they're taken to a blending facility where they're barrel-aged and then blended into our finished products. Those activities used to happen here on the backside of this pub, which uh, is over three-quarters of the building. But again, we outgrew that space, and so uh, we had to move to a bigger location. But at one point in time, and when we first really got really rolling with the sour beers, all our barrel-aging, blending, and bottling hand bottling of our sour beers was done at this location here, Southeast 10th and Belmont in Portland. And uh, do you get a police escort when you're moving this stuff around the city or something? Because this is pretty valuable product, right? Uh, no, uh, we, we don't, thankfully. Uh, I, I think it's just, uh, you know, kind of the, uh, um, the uh, anonymity of uh, the white truck with just Cascade Brewing on the side that lets us get away with that. Mm-hmm. So uh, how popular is this location then? Uh, we do quite well here. It's it's very close to downtown. Um, uh, this Belmont Street here is the busiest eastbound arterial out of downtown. So there's a lot of drive-by traffic, uh, especially in the evening time. And then just with its proximity to the downtown center of downtown, uh, it's easy, cabable distance from hotels and whatnot. And then there's also quite a few walking neighborhoods, uh, just several blocks to the east. So uh, Weekends, we do great. Uh, you know, if you want to come when it's quiet here, come weekday at open around lunch. Um, but, or, to, uh, or today when it snows. Or on a snow day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it's Thursday too, so. Um, but, uh, you know, there's always there's always room for more, but but we're happy with how things are going here today. Is everything that you make on available on tap here? Or do you have to rotate some of that through? We have to rotate. One of the beautiful things about the scale of our operations is that it allows us to do many different beers. And so that's the fun aspect. We have 24 sours on tap here now and six uh, non-sour offerings. So we can't have all of them on at one time. Uh, we just don't have the, the tap space for that. And, and we I don't know that we necessarily want to either. The menu uh, for some is kind of intimidating. So 
at some point, I think it's better to have just concise yet varied offering. And something that really caught my eye when I walked in was there's two barrels that look like they've just been stuck in the wall there. Correct. Uh, what's what's going on with those? Okay, so those barrels, that's for our live barrel series. We have a, every Tuesday, we tap one of those barrels. They look like barrels sticking out of the wall because they are. We actually cut holes in the cooler wall and um, our brewmaster, Ron Gansberg, fabricated uh, custom carts uh, to lift these barrels, place them on, and then we just roll them in through the cooler wall. So the front face of the barrel sticks out through the cooler wall where we tap them and, and serve off them. But, you know, 80% of the barrel is then sealed in the back of the cooler to keep it cold at a good serving temperature. And that's the, the fun part of that live barrel program of which those two barrels you mentioned are. It's, a, it's really a, a program where the brewers and blenders get to experiment with different things that inspire them and, and um, from the artistic side of things and stuff they get curious about. Well, what if we do this, you know, or use these particular ingredients? And as it's a single barrel, it allows them to do something different every week. We do a new one every week. So we do 52 different sours just with the live barrel program in a year. Right. And given that you're rotating that every week, it must be pretty popular with everybody that comes through. It's fun. It's a good, it's a good program. It's always something different. One of the so we had two goals in mind doing that. One was to have some inspiration and some uh, an avenue for the blenders to play with different products. And two, to have something for the public so that there was always something new. One of the things we noticed coming up in the industry is that, you know, going to a tap house that had the same six or eight or even 10 beers after a while, it's like, well, what's next? And so we want to be able to be on the, the cutting edge of producing sour beers and, and experimenting with new stuff and, and always have something a little different, at least one beer, a little different than what was on last week. And if somebody goes, well, great, I love your beers. I get them in the bottle the whole time. And apart from the live barrel project, what would somebody gain by coming to this facility? Well, the experience of having them on draft is a little bit different than bottle. And I think that's good. Additionally, from just a cost perspective, you could, rather than buying 24 different bottles, you could come taste 24 different tastes and actually run through them. And I think there's something to just the ambiance of uh, the Barrel House pub here and, and the knowledgeable staff and and just the environment for sitting down and having a sour at, at the place where where we got really, really rolling with this sour beer program. And you have a kitchen on site too. So you're not like most breweries that have a little food truck parked outside. And what's your uh, favorite thing out of the kitchen to pair with one of your favorite beers? Well, um, I, I think, uh, you know, Cheese pairs great with beer. I don't. I don't care what wine people say, but uh, cheese and beer is a good pairing. So we we do some great artisanal cheese plates and cheese and meat plates, um, as well as some great sandwiches. Um, we have a pork pastrami uh, with a purple cabbage slaw sandwich. That's one of the house favorites right now that I'm very fond of. If somebody's never tried Cascade sour beers before, how would you uh, describe it to them? Well, I think it's. You know, certain people identify with different things. I think folks that are have uh, been exposed to kombucha, for say, lend to sour beer as well. It's more kind of a familiar thing in the sour aspect of it. People that like fermented stuff, pickled stuff, um, and wine drinkers. Sour beers have uh, similar threads to all of those items. I try to, when I'm serving someone or introducing someone to our sour beers or sour beers in general, I try to understand what they like and then try to pick something on the menu that I think will match up with that. For say, if they're a bourbon drinker, we have several bourbon barrel aged sours. That's sometimes a good avenue to go down for them. 
We have a very popular beer. We sell draft only, the honey ginger lime, which is a, a rye-based beer. And then we do candied ginger, age it with candied ginger, and do a very late addition of fresh ginger and back sweeten with wildflower honey. And that's super popular and uh, very approachable. The honey kind of balances the sour a little bit. So for people just getting into sour beers, I think that's a more of a good gateway sour, if you will, to step into the arena and a, and a great seller for us, especially in the summer. Mm-hmm. I do see on the menu over there, you have quote unquote regular beers too, not just sours available. Yes, we do. Yeah. We're very proud of our uh, non-sour offerings as well. We've got uh, Portland Ale, which is uh, kind of a nod to uh, our founder and owner's past, Art Lawrence. I uh, was one of the co-founders of Portland Brewing Company. And uh, that was a beer uh, we made with them. I happened to work with Art back in the 80s at Portland Brewing, and we made a lot of Portland Ale in the day. And he got the rights to that name after it expired. And so Cascade is now continuing to proudly make Portland Ale. So that's one of our non-sours that that we have on all the time. And then we've got our house IPA, the Cascade IPA. And another fun beer in our non-sour offering is uh, our Oblique Coffee Blonde. So it's a, a beer that, that the brewers made to uh, have the the smell, the taste, the mouthfeel of a big, dark stout um, as it's made with coffee, but it's a blonde beer. So it's a very interesting uh, uh, juxtaposition. You, you look at it and you think, oh, that's not a stout. I ordered the stout, but yet it, it certainly drinks like one. And and for the coffee lovers, the, uh, the lack of dark malts lets the coffee really shine through. Um, so I think it's a great coffee beer. Is there anything you haven't put in the barrel yet? Uh, I'm sure there is. Um, yeah, there's a long list of that stuff. Uh, I, I don't have that at, uh, on the tip of my tongue, though. Do you think that this would be successful anywhere else in the Pacific Northwest? Or is this a kind of a unique kind of Portland thing? Oh, I don't necessarily think it's unique to Portland. I think Portland has some great advantages in that uh, being ha- it, Portland has such a long-standing um, brewing uh, craft brewing tradition uh, uh, dating back, you know, to the '86 anyway. Um, and so, I think the uh, collective palate, if you will, of the locals here in Portland um, is is very experienced and educated in, in craft beer, and so. I think for Portlanders, it's easy to transition into the sours. I think other parts of the country where it's craft beer is is still making inroads and not as widely accepted. I think that's a uh, more challenging for sours. But again, uh, sours are 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 different, unlike many beers. Uh, in the sense, uh, we get a lot of uh, wine drinkers, for say, who'll say, "Oh, I don't like beer." It's like, well, you know, there's hundreds of styles of beer. Are you sure? And 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 we get them to try some of the sours, and they end up liking beer. So as far as the sour concept working in cities outside Portland, I think certainly a lot of the West Coast cities, Seattle, San Diego, markets like that, I think would be no problem at all. You know, if you try to plant this concept in mid-America, that might be a little more of a challenge. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks so much to Art and Grant for their time, especially since there was a snowstorm on when I was down in Portland when uh, I taped this episode. Really appreciate them to uh, make time for me during my visit. You got to check out the Barrel House. So many great beers on tap, and they're always rotating as well. Really recommend checking out the live barrel program that we talked about in the interview. If you enjoyed this podcast series, hopefully you'll subscribe and please leave us a review on iTunes as well. It goes a long way to help us get this series into as many ears as possible. If you want to support this independently produced podcast series, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Cascadian beer. 
Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And until next time, remember, support your local.